I gotta, I gotta get there. I gotta, I, I gotta get there in time. The, the world depends on it. Start season three. The world depend. Wait. What is that in there with you? Oh, those? They are my latest creation for my own protection. Wanna get closer? What the? Melonheads! Ah! And welcome to season three of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, joined by a man who, in our off time from season two, auditioned for the voice of Donald Duck in an upcoming Disney special, Angel. I still think you had that audition in the bag, but who am I to say? Could you give the audience a bit of your Donald? Why, sure. (laughs) I still don't know how you did not get to that disney is it's a big mistake disney yeah i think it's because i swore too much <laughs> yeah, yeah they don't want that that's not a, that's not on brand i was for trying disney. to i was trying to give them a hipper more edgier donald <laughs> yep maybe maybe next maybe next year. time next time yep <laughs> go for mickey next time go for the go for the king <laughs> Some said it could never be done, Angel. Some said it shouldn't be done, while others just plain said, please don't. But here we are, season three of the show. Before we get into it, something came up in between seasons that I'm just, uh, I am really dying to hear more about. You started making some headway into your X-Files spinoff show that has been in development hell for ages. Of course, there was the Lone Gunman show, and even somewhat Millennium before that. Uh, and there is supposedly a cartoon comedy X-Files version coming later this year. So there is precedent for this type of show. So your vision, I guess we could call it, is to make a show to feature the Peacock family, who of course were the bad guys in the famed and later banned from re-airing on Fox episode Home. The Peacocks, for those of you that do not know, were an inbred family in Pennsylvania who, of course, do what inbred families do, murder people. The pitch for your show, as I was told, is the Peacocks meets the Munsters. So a bit of a homage to an homage, I suppose. Tell me a bit about this sitcom approach to X-Files and how you see it becoming the next big hit titled The Peacocks Homecoming. Well, it's the transition is not that difficult. There are well-known uh, X-Files episodes that took a more humorous, comedic route. So it's just a matter of channeling those and working them out to be every working out the episode to be just pure comedy through and through 30 minutes every episode. You know, it's not mm-hmm. and with the peacocks at the forefront, it's just it's just a magical experience because they don't really talk much, so you can get a lot of physical comedy in there. Yeah, very universal. Yeah, I can stuff. see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some like falling through tables, like some breaking an old rocking chair. Yep. Like, and, yeah, and then the classic mother under the bed coming out just because she's hungry. That's always a <laughs> yep. crowd pleaser. Uh huh. the The live audience goes wild. They start clapping when Mama rolls out. I do have it on good authority, though, Angel, that you are a famed Munsters Monster fan. I've read some of the fanfic scripts you wrote about this arc, 
where Herman, the patriarch of the family, of course, gets sucked into the pages of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein due to a bumbling series of events involving Grandpa and Eddie. And the monster replaces... <laughs> and the monster replaces Herman in their world. It had some genuine laughs. What did you learn from those early script attempt days to bring into the Peacocks? I learned that 15 pages is the equivalent to about a minute. It's hard to write. <laughs> so how did your love for the Munsters influence the show? Well, uh, first off, it's all going to be black and white. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, now people are going to say you copied WandaVision, though. Well, the difference is that there's also a vampire. <laughs> I'm just... Like, there's a Wait, as part of the peacocks? Yeah, yeah. It's just peacock and their neighbor is the <laughs> vampire. And he's suspicious of the peacocks. He's, he's like, there's something wrong with those guys. And he'll be, he, every time he's being suspicious, he's got like blood around his face because he just finished feeding. But the peacocks don't know. They don't know any better. They're just trying to live their life listening to oldies in their uh, classic car, you know, and... and Killing people randomly. That's how I'm sure every episode ends or begins. Some sort of zany situation where there's a dead body. Yep. Hopefully, those execs stop sending those cease and desist orders to you and just finally read your pilot. I think it's going to be a big hit. With that being said, are you ready to hear some weird news articles to kick off Season 3? Yes. So the first one comes from unexplainedmysteries.com where, get this, two ape creature photos surface in brazil and my god the photographs show alleged ape-like creatures rumored to be skulking around brazil's Parisa island every country seems to have its own version of bigfoot and brazil is no exception as evidenced recently by rumors of an albeit smaller ape-like beast reported on Parisa island the stories are centered around Aya de Misericordia in the state of Bahia, where a curfew in response to the coronavirus pandemic has left residents restricted to their homes. This hasn't stopped some strange stories emerging from the region, however, with some reporting sightings of peculiar ape-like creatures wandering the deserted streets at night. Most recently, two photographs have been circulating social media, one showing a creature walking along a quiet road, and another which shows three creatures, two adults and a juvenile. They have long arms and appear to walk upright on two legs, while slightly hunched over. What the images actually show, however, remains unclear. Could these simply be native primates that have wandered into the streets due to the curfew? It's also possible that the images are a hoax, perhaps created by using image manipulation, costumes, puppets, or some other means. What do you think is going on with our ape creatures in Brazil? I mean, I don't I don't know why this article makes it sound like this is fantastical. I why couldn't they be ape creatures? Well, the first one and we'll link this on our podcast page, but the first one to me looks like he's uh riding a skateboard, so that's pretty awesome to me. <laughs> that's like 1990s most viable primate type movie going on right there. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. There's a sentence in the article that says, could these simply be native primates primates that have wandered into the streets? What else mm-hmm. would they be? I mean, they're, they're not, they even said they're smaller, so they're not like Bigfoot sized. What's wrong with having primates in Brazil? That's not unheard of. I guess the idea is that they are too lanky for some reason. <laughs> and I guess both of the images show upright walking. So I guess that might be a, a trigger for some people to say, these aren't right. <laughs> Personally, I think it's just people dressed up trying to get unnoticed out of curfew. Because I've seen it even like a few pictures of, like I saw one guy, he tried to dress up as a poodle and like was walking <laughs> on all fours. So it just looked like he was a dog <laughs> walking on the sidewalk. But then it makes people draw your attention even more to like stupid shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> To avoid curfew, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's a form of entertainment. That's that's for sure. But if I were to dress up as a ape, I would definitely do it on a skateboard. <laughs> I mean, is it maybe the only better thing rollerblades? But <laughs> I digress. 
our next article it's something that i have some slight interest in it's something that sometimes pops up on daytime television shows stuff like maury things like that it's titled from unexplainedmysteries.com four-year-old recalls past life 9-11 experience a mother on tiktok has shared the remarkable recollections of her young daughter's alleged past life while the concept of past lives and the idea that people can remember who they used to be remains a highly controversial topic. Some researchers have documented tantalizing evidence suggesting that there may be something more to the phenomenon than a child's overactive imagination. One intriguing example of this can be found in a video posted on TikTok by Riss White, a mother who was responding to a post asking for stories of children's past life recollections. According to White, on September 11, 2018, she had been browsing news articles and memorial pieces about the 2001 terrorist attacks when her daughter seemed to recognize the Twin Towers. Hey mom, I used to work there, she said, pointing to an image of the North Tower. When White asked her what that was, the four-year-old replied, before. What she said next, however, would chill her mother to the bone. She said that one day she was working and the floor got really hot, said White, so she stood on her desk because the floor was too hot, and she said that her and her friends were trying to get through the door, but they couldn't open the door, so she jumped out the window and flew like a bird. Of course, it's possible that the girl had somehow picked up references to the events of 9-11 from somewhere else, but it seems unlikely that she would have understood it at that age. Could she really be reincarnation of someone who died that day? You decide, the article ends. So what's your take on past lives here, Angel? My thought process is if, if past lives are a thing, I don't think it would be somebody that was would... Uh, the the next person born would not be somebody that was alive a few years ago kind of thing yeah sort of be like there there's more souls out there that are in line first yeah. sort of deal yeah like if anything if this little girl had a, uh her past life would have been some sort of um gladiator from rome or something <laughs> pliny the elder <laughs> one like i guess one thing i think about in this situation is like how do the memories bleed over into the new body how like how how can that even begin to work it it's my understanding that it shouldn't <laughs> yeah it shouldn't work <laughs> so how about how this idea then of are you of the opinion that say identity of the person is like their consciousness and their brain so if you're brain were to like be put in a different body and somehow still worked and everything like that and you had all of your current memories but in a new body would you be a new person or would you be the same old person just in a new body that is a question i've wrestled with all my life uh-huh. you stay awake at night <laughs> sweating yep good movie that tackles that issue is dark city mm. yep and there is a lot of mindfulness meditation gurus out there that essentially use that kind of idea to help you reach that enlightenment, that Zen point, mm -hmm. which is, you know, being asked, you know, ask yourself if you, if you ignore the fact that you know things, ignore all of your memories and your experiences and, you know, you know your, your gender, forget all that. Right. Mm -hmm. So then you ask yourself, what are you at that point? Now, if you if you answer something like, oh, I'm a person, you say, well, that's because you're using your experience. You got to ignore all those things and then you got to go beyond. Yeah. And then that's supposed to be your true self. So yep. whatever. And then you enter the hypercube and <laughs> you die. You're in the hypercube already. <laughs> Shit. Nope. Can't do it. So with those life-altering articles out of the way, let's turn our focus to the first entity of this season, the Melonheads. I assure you, Angel, I am not talking about a sweet or tangy, mouth-watering, saliva-dripping, taste-bud-popping sugar candy that you just drop in your mouth. No, no, no. The melon heads actually are more likely to be viewing you as a sweet or tangy, mouth-watering, saliva-dripping, taste-bud-popping morsel to pop into their mouth. 
To give you an idea of what these things supposedly look like, we can take a gander at Joseph Citro's 2005 book, Weird New England. Joe states, Those who have seen them say they are small in stature, frail-looking with long, spindly arms and fingers. Their teeth are crooked, blocky, and discolored. Their heads, their most conspicuous feature, are bald and bulbous and out of proportion with their stooped torsos. Some observers say their eyes are red. Despite that sounding like a police report description of me, what do you think of the appearance of the Melonhead Angel? It's already sounding weird and creepy. Based on my research, that phrase that, that the, those who have seen them, like I'm pretty sure it's my understanding that anyone that sees them dies. Is it like the ring? <laughs> like you see it and then you die? Well, supposedly if they're seen, they're going to come after you because they don't want... They're going to get you. Yeah. yeah, they don't want you to spread the word. To me, the, the bulbous heads are very intriguing. I think, I think I've said it before, um, maybe in the squonk episode, but it seems like most entities have some sort of inherent danger attributed to their appearance, be it claws or fangs or body size, but the melon heads seem to be like almost sickly dudes with just some mega big noggins. And I suppose though, if you're out in the woods at night and you see like a short, lanky, gigantic headed guy with gnarled teeth, that's gonna be hella scary, right? Yeah. You know what I wouldn't find scary if I found it out in the woods at night? What? Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the axiom that states for someone to have come from somewhere it must therefore go somewhere so where the heck do the melon heads come from this one is quite interesting angel as i found several reports of melon heads all over the country from the great lakes to new england melon heads have been showing their creepy little faces since at least the 1960s now for me these are sort of my favorite ones to look into something that has popped up into american folklore relatively recently how about you, Angel? Do you find yourself to be more intrigued by the ones that are post-1900, or are you more of a traditionalist kind of cryptid fan man of pre-1900 kind of guy? I could go either or. <laughs> <laughs> you just shrug your shoulders. Ah, that's okay. <laughs> so we have variations of melon heads coming from Michigan, Ohio, and Connecticut. All of them depict the same basic entity, this pear-shaped headed cannibal that becomes enraged and attacks you if you enter their territory. As far as its origins, they all seem to be from a marginalized population that was wronged in some way. So first, we'll take a look at the state of Michigan. And the Michigan melon heads, or as I like to call them, M&Ms, surprisingly also known to melt in your mouth and not in your hands, <laughs> the origins of the Michigan melon heads, according to Linda Godfrey in the book Weird Michigan, leads us to the ominous Junction Insane Asylum. This was supposedly a state-run facility tasked with treating children who were, were afflicted with a rare condition known as hydrocephalus, which is an ailment where cerebrospinal fluid accumulates within the brain. So this creates increased pressure in the skull and in older people causes headaches, double vision, personality changes, and even mental impairment. In babies, however, it can create a rapid increase in head size, thus begetting the name Melonhead. So records of this angel of studying hydrocephalus go back about 2,400 years. And when I see something go that far back, do you know who I suspect was dabbling in the study of this ailment? The Romans. Luckily for us... It was their brothers from another pantheon, the original Olympians. None of that dumb <laughs> Zeus to Jupiter, mirror world stuff, the Greeks. So this goes back to the man dubbed the father of medicine, Hippocrates, or if you're feeling really saucy, Hippocrates. The word itself, hydrocephalus, is even derived from Greek, meaning waterhead. So how about this, Angel? We have the not-so-normal origins of this entity deriving from some sort of medical condition. What are your thoughts on that? Right now, my thoughts are that I feel like these things, the tales of these creatures are just helping stigmatize 
diseases and people yeah. with them. Make, make, make you scared of people that have this. Yeah. For me, I sort of get the, like, a goat man vibe from it. Mm-hmm. I think specifically to the, the Maryland goat man had its origins to a scientist possibly inflicting, like, non-consented procedures on a person. Yeah. So here's a question. These melon heads or goat men of the world, these entities are tied to medical treatments or procedures. Do you think the rise in folklorish entities like these in modern times shows up more and more because of things like people's mistrust or simple ignorance of certain medical or technological advances or ailments or no? Yeah, I think I think it's uh it's my it's been my experience that there's always been some sort of distrust over some sort of scientific anything, distrust over the medical profession and what doctors have to say. I, I, I mean, even now I see it all over Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And then Facebook's even worse. Oh, God. Yeah. So, so it's uh, these, the people that come up with these, these tales, they, they essentially are like, I know how we'll get people to distrust them. They'll, we say they're doing experiments on them and then, they make them come out looking like this. Got a damn melon head. <laughs> and then they eat you. As we've seen time and time again, a lot of these entities spawn from a smashing together, or dare I say it, Angel, amalgamation of cultural and societal elements at a specific point in time. So it gets me thinking about the advancement of robotics and AI. Like, will there be a time where folklore gets to a point that people say some robot dog from a place like Boston Dynamics became sentient and ran off into the woods and it now mauls anyone who comes into its lair? Do you think that's a plausible thing that can happen like a hundred years from now? I mean, you just said it, so I don't think it's going to take a hundred years. <laughs> and it's already happening. <laughs> yeah, definitely plausible. I mean... Not only that, but there is, there is um, I wouldn't call this a kind of a folklore, but yet, but it's, I think it's veering towards this. I saw it on Twitter a while ago where they had released, I forget which state got their first robotic dog, mm-hmm. a police dog kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And everyone was posting images of when you see these things, you got to. Make sure you reach oh, in this specific location and pull out its battery pack. So already they're, they're spreading this idea that, you know, screw this police dog robot thing. So it's it's only a, a matter of time before the next step is these things are going to turn against us any chance mm-hmm. they get. And they're already we're already developing um, a, a way to to combat them by you mm-hmm. know, eliminating their battery packs. Mm-hmm. Targeting their weak spots. Yeah. So it's like to me, Ultron in the MCU, like it saw that what humanity was, and in like five seconds, just decided that things would be better if all humans were dead. <laughs> so I think, like once a robot gets to sentience like that, I think that's just <laughs> the ultimate conclusion of what happens. And it'll be interesting to see how folklore and robotics intersect once it becomes more prominent. But yeah, it's not going to be good. There's going to be robots hiding out in the forest. Instead of melon heads, it's going to be robots. <laughs> Back to the melon heads off at the Junction Insane Asylum in Michigan, though. The idea is that these individuals suffered from severe physical and mental setbacks due to the hydrocephalus combined with something much more insidious. The caretakers of these children deemed it important, apparently, to conduct various experiments upon them. These undisclosed experiments manifested in continual mutations and deformities to the point where author Linda Godfrey describes them as hardly human anymore. As with all nefarious mental facilities in the mid-1900s associated with claims such as this one, it was eventually shut down. The years and years of experiments, however, left these children in a state that no longer allowed them to return to society. They were, for all intensive purposes, considered at this point to be feral. So with the closing of the facility, supposedly, the wise doctors basically were like, eh, screw it, and just released the children into the surrounding forest. It's like the old saying, Angel, not my monkeys, not my circus. But I think in this situation it was more, I hate my monkeys, please go die in the forest. So put yourself in the doctor's scrubs, Angel. Do you release the melon heads into the world? 
Depends. Are they uh, looking murderous at me? At that point, yep, they were they were too far gone. The story claims that they were <laughs> they were feral. They're not coming back. Yeah, I'm definitely letting them go. Oh, you're gonna put them out in the forest? Yeah, I'm letting I'm letting the the, the rest of the world deal with them. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried. I tried, Melonheads. I only <laughs> mutated you more. Go be free now. <laughs> I mean, if I'm if I'm doing these experiments, I clearly don't care about yeah, the exactly. well-being yeah, of you're like, <laughs> I'm gonna go to a new facility, and my experiments are gonna be ten times worse because I learned a lot on advanced mutations into already ailed people. So, <laughs> variations of the origins say the Melonheads lived in a place called Felt Mansion, or were outcasts from society based on their appearance, and lived in a series of caves that were supposedly left over by an abandoned zoo. So we talked about it for a short time last season, Angel, but that laughing entity in Florida people were telling you about that lived in caves, apparently Michigan just has abandoned zoo caves people can live in. That's just neat. Hmm. (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Something's brewing, I think. (laughs) As far as where these melon heads are, the story tells us that the facility was close to the before-mentioned Felt Mansion, which is located in the western portion of the state near Lake Michigan. In the year 1977, the Felt property was purchased by the state and was then transitioned to be used as a state police post and converted a school building into the Sagatuck Dunes Correctional Facility. That facility was then closed in 1991, so possibly it could be the setting for the mysterious origins of the Michigan Melonheads. Out of all those places, Angel, which is the best for a monster origin? Insane Asylum, Zoo Caves, or a mansion built in the 1920s? Oh, man, they're they're all ripe. They got their pros. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I think, I mean, Insane Asylum is, is classic. Like, mm-hmm. everyone knows Insane Can't Asylum. Can't go wrong. Yeah. Zoo caves, though, there's <laughs> just something about them. It, it definitely gives an air of feralness. And I, now that I think about it, I think in the second Batman movie where Danny DeVito played the penguin, I'm pretty sure his lair was a, an abandoned zoo. Yep. <laughs> there's precedent. <laughs> <laughs> So, on to now Ohio. Similar to the Michigan lore, Ohio finds various children in the care of a doctor that should not be caring for children. And I feel like these doctors are sort of like Willy Wonka. (laughs) They have these kids in their facility, and then bad stuff happens, and he's like, whatever. Like, no, Wonka, you are in charge of making sure these kids don't die during the tour of your damn chocolate factory. The doctors should not be just like, eh. <laughs> they just get in the way, you know? <laughs> children. <laughs> damn kids, why are you here? And then they kill them. <laughs> oh, we needed them. Oops, get more. So one difference for Ohio compared to Michigan is that this one places a specific person in charge of the children. A nefariously named Dr. Crow. These children were apparently orphans who, for one reason or another, Dr. Crow was responsible for caring near Kirtland, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. Through various dastardly experiments, the children developed the appearances like that of the aliens referred to as greys, sort of, in appearance. They had large, hairless heads and tiny bodies. Variations on the story say the children did suffer from hydrocephalus, and do you know what Dr. Crow thought was a proper treatment for the kids, Angel. Injecting them with water in their brain. Yep. More <laughs> fluids. Just m- pump it. Pump it in there. He reportedly kept pumping their heads full of more liquids to make them bigger. Does that sound like good treatment in your book, Dr. Angel? It's my experience that if your brain has water in it and then you start putting more in it, it's not going to fix anything. <laughs> but does it make it worse? Yes. Yes, it does. Oh, okay. <laughs> Supposedly, the children didn't think it was a good treatment. So the story goes that the kids, in crying boy painting fashion, burned down the orphanage and murdered Dr. Crow. They bludgeoned him to death, ate his corpse, and then all fled, as melonheads do, to the surrounding forest to feed on, of all things, babies. 
Oh my god. What do you make of this apparent need for the melon heads to live in the forest? Like, why must they be woodbound? I think it's less about them being wood woodbound and more about the fact that these stories, the these melon heads are all connected to the forest in a special way. And mm-hmm. and and the people telling the stories have to f- make that connection. There's like an underlying something else. You have to look yeah. between the lines. How about then why must these ones specifically devour babies? Do you think it has to do with some crazy experiments that Dr. Crow was doing, like they just became addicted to babies? I mean, probably. <laughs> who, knows? <laughs> who knows what <laughs> Who knows what Dr. Crow was doing, right? It's either that or blame it on the big head. <laughs> <laughs> so one source, American Myths, Legends, and Tall Tales by Jeffrey Webb in 2016 states that Dr. Crow was said to perform illegal abortions in a cabin in the woods and would kill deformed babies for parents that did not want them. I guess the idea was then that he fed those babies to the melon heads, but I don't understand why. Like, <laughs> why why feed them babies? Just to make them more feral and, like, mutationist? It's the, the, the easiest source of protein he could find. <laughs> yeah. We're... <laughs> My orphanage is not making a lot of money. I'm <laughs> spending so much money on ways to, on fluid to pump into the heads. I can't afford food. Babies it is. <laughs> Supposedly, melon heads in Ohio are more subdued than their Michigan and New England counterparts. And some suspect that they may have even been lobotomized by Dr. Crow. But I guess he didn't do, like, all of them, seeing as he was ripped apart and eaten and... <laughs> Uh, it doesn't sound so subdued in my book, but there are claims that the specifically Ohio ones are more subdued than the others. Our last state here to cover, Connecticut. This one has a neat variation in the story, and it seems to be influenced by some old New England Puritan times fun, witchcraft. Supposedly, the Shelton Trumbull family was accused of witchcraft in colonial times and were banished from society. The family, seemingly so large, just started their own community elsewhere and quickly resorted to inbreeding to sustain their numbers. Due to that repopulation with a gene pool as shallow as a puddle, mental and physical mutations manifested and gave us the melon heads of Connecticut. And there we have it, Angel. The Shelton Trumbull family would have been perfect to appear on the X-Files, right? Yep. They just could have done a, a, a good witchcraft inbred evil family that could have been a good one i think they did that with home (laughs) they weren't witches though well we could always add that (laughs) it was uh implied (laughs) there were witches and it all stemmed from the elvis newspaper that they had (laughs) yep (laughs) author joseph citro tells of another variation in the connecticut story that is more similar to ohio and michigan Around the year 1860, a supposedly high-security institution for the criminally insane, so I guess like a real-world Arkham Asylum of sorts, was constructed deep in the woods of Fairfield County. After 100 years of, I'm sure, some very safe and reliable services, the asylum burned down. It is said every staff member and all but 10 to 20 inmates died, which to me would suggest that this was a plot by the inmates to intentionally burn the place down. So, Angel, you are an escaped inmate in 1960. What do you do? I'm going to eat my fellow inmates to survive. Just go and, straight to cannibalism? And, and, yeah. <laughs> and live in the woods? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> just go to the forest. Yep. Well, these guys were thinking just like you, Angel. <laughs> they shun civilization in fear of being put back in prison resorted to cannibalism and of course the story then suggests inbreeding in the forest (laughs) the the author has my favorite description of inbreeding ever indiscriminate inbreeding like they had no they had no control over anything and (laughs) god damn it we need to inbreed right now so supposedly this inbreeding caused a metabolic chemical reaction their heads swelled and their desire for human flesh became uncontrollable the author writes (laughs) 
you are the foremost authority on inbreeding with your peacock script writing. Why do inbreds resort to cannibalism? Well, you see, it's just, uh, it's not, it's not the, the fact that they're resorting to cannibalism due to inbreeding. They're, they're resorting to cannibalism because that's what makes us scared of them. Oh, okay. So they're just trying to instill fear into the general populace. It's like the Wendigo. Do they just grow? Do they grow like, are they unsatiated too, like the Wendigo? Well, maybe not that. They just grow bigger. But Mm -hmm. but the idea is that they're they're eating people, which is something you is very visceral and makes you want to be like, no, get away. You know, these things are bad. Very taboo. Like, in the overarching cannibalistic, like, horror, why do you think it's so prominent in in the lore and stories of the Melonheads specifically? Do you think it's just to sort of make them this outside-of-society freak? Honestly, I have been racking my brain about oh, uh, over this. I have no idea. First of all, I don't know why Melonhead stories only exist in Michigan, Ohio, and Connecticut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, there's a few ju- states you got to jump <laughs> to <Yeah>. get there, <laughs> and and then the, and then the, the similarities of the stories, like like mm-hmm. where did I don't like they all have the same idea with the big heads and cannibalism. So yeah, I don't know how to answer that. I think in going further on this too, what I don't get is that in this instance, if the asylum burned down in 1960, I mean even today that was what 61 years ago. Were these inmates already all a family of inbreds? It would take several generations of random people forming a community of any sort of inbreeding like to attribute to start developing. Like yeah. The timeline just doesn't make sense to me. And this book was written in 2005. So that's like 15 years less to inbreed for this story to <laughs> occur. <laughs> like, am I, am I the crazy one here? Does, like, does this timeline of indiscriminate inbreeding make sense? Not at all. I feel like this story, for some reason, just requires inbreeding to be a melon head. So, like, (laughs) they have to do it. Yeah. But if you aren't related, that's just normal reproduction. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what's going on with the story? As I mentioned, I don't know why these, these states, these seemingly unrelated states have melon head stories. And yet, there's several surrounding states that don't apparently don't have any for example i can't find anything about melon heads in indiana i can't mm-hmm. find anything in with melon heads in pennsylvania and like pennsylvania has the perfect like appalachian mountain mm-hmm. mountainous forest region for them to just populate and become an invasive species yep and there's also a part of canada there that seemingly connects it's not really a theory, but I have an it's a working theory. And there's a story, and it starts in Pennsylvania. There's a story known as the Lost Children of the Alleghenies. Stop me if you've heard this one. No. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> the 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 story is that two missing brothers from the Appalachia region in 1856, Joseph and George Cox, they were lost in the in the in the Allegheny uh, mountain forest area they the the family lived in a cabin there i think they they realized their kids were missing so they went out to search for them they heard uh a dog the 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 guy's name samuel samuel cox heard his dog barking and thought that he had found a squirrel so he went to get his rifle and headed into the woods that's when they believe the boys went away and and separated from their father and that's when they got lost so they they called for the kids they nobody uh, they didn't respond so they went to their neighbors to find look for the kids and eventually like it became a thing where they started getting people even from pittsburgh to help to Mm -hmm. find to search for these these uh lost children and i think it's it was four days later and a local farmer named jacob dibert heard about the missing children and remarked to his wife that he wished to be able to dream of the boy's location. Then on May 2nd, he wished it into existence. <laughs> he he had a dream in which he walked a path through the woods past a dead deer, a child's shoe and a fallen birch tree. 
and eventually to a copse of birch trees in a small ravine. And here was where he would find the boys. The, he says the dream happened to, in, again, so he had the dream two nights in a row. The first one wasn't good enough. He's like, <laughs> uh, it's not clear enough. I'm not. not I need more <laughs> dream gods. <laughs> he hadn't told anyone but his wife. But then he felt the dream was prophetic. And on May seventh, he told his brother-in-law. And his brother-in-law then he recognized some of the things that the, the uh, Jacob said, like uh, like the. The, the the locations of the area so <laughs> the the dead deer i know where that dead deer is <laughs> so they went there and sure enough they found the dead deer they found the shoe and then they found the, the boys by uh curled up in the some tree roots they had been dead for four days at this point bummer yeah they uh they they even have like they, they put a plaque there to like commemorate this event and everything a lot of people were like did he really dream this, or was he the one that killed them? Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> Who's a cover-up? <laughs> the old wish to dream to come true to yeah. find these kids cover-up. Yep. Classic. So the, the reason I bring this up is that this is in, in Pennsylvania, and the Allegheny National Forest is in, in the kind of northwest area close to Lake Erie. My thoughts are the spirits of these dead lost boys somehow manifested and they spread out they went north they went east they went west so they made their way when they made their way east they went through the all the way to this it says screw new york straight into connecticut they went west they they went into Lake Erie and took the, the the scenic route all the way to Detroit and then made their way into the Michigan forest known as Roscommon State Forest area. They also went south towards Ohio to the Wayne National Forest, and that's where all the melon heads sprouted. So it began as the Allegheny Boys Curse. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's a curse. It's a curse. <laughs> Screw the people that started it in the state. We're spreading out in curse fashion to just get indiscriminate death upon people unrelated to the situation. Exactly. So, so their their appearance has nothing to do with experiments, no medical issues, no diseases. This is just their ghostly manifestations and their hauntings to warn everyone else of the tragedy that happened. In Pennsylvania. So are the melon heads ghosts then? In this theory? In this theory, they are a, a ghost that is exists in the physical plane. Some sort of hard ethereal presence. Yeah. God damn. It only took one episode to get back to curses. <laughs> <laughs> We're cursed. <laughs> Anything else with your theory? That's pretty much it. Uh-huh. So I think this gives us an idea for where they came from. But where did these monstrous melon heads go? In regards to the Michigan melon heads, according to author Linda Godfrey, apparently the Allegan County Historical Society says specifically the Junction Insane Asylum is a myth and has never existed. However, there have been reports of sightings of these creatures. There is a telling of an encounter in the Weird Michigan book that says someone was out by Felt Mansion at night and saw a person about 50 yards away. They yelled out, hello, in an attempt to show that they were friendly. The alleged melon head did not respond so nicely, and the entity instead rushed towards them grunting. So they drove away as fast as they could. Someone comes grunting towards you in the dead of night, Angel. Do you stand your ground? No, man. This is that's, see. Here's the thing. Every time you mention something, it just brings me back to to that X Files episode because that grunting is coming from under the bed. <laughs> it is. What's she doing under the bed, Mom? <laughs> Why don't you have limbs anymore? <laughs> More questions than were answered in that episode of X Files. Mark Moran's 2009 Weird U.S states that the Ohio melon heads come out at night, and when specifically it is a full moon, they will attack anyone on sight. But if you wear dark clothes, you will be somewhat safer, as they have terrible eyesight. Do you think standing still is adequate defense a la the T-Rex in Jurassic Park? 
Well, I didn't know that about the eyesight, so yes, I would definitely not move. The grunter grunting. coming towards you. <laughs> I think I, now that now that you revealed the, the eyesight thing, I think the grunting is a way to startle somebody to get them to <laughs> no. move. What if it's more like an echo location? He's got a grunt to like Jesus. knock back the echoes to locate you. Oh my god! If he can echolocate me, then I'm I'm screwed no matter what. You're done. You're done. <laughs> Should have never been in there in the first place. <laughs> so there are two. Melonhead stories I want to uh, just go over and get your opinion on before we head into the rubric of power. This first one comes from the book Weird Ohio, and it's titled Ditched Melonhead Along Roadside. The story says, My name is Tony, and I recently had an experience with the Melonheads. It was on October 5th, 2001. My stepfather, mom, stepbrother, and me were driving down Chillicothe Road in Chardon. We had been driving up and down roads in the same area for almost an hour with no luck, because they're specifically looking for a melon head. We were just about to go home when we came upon this stretch of road that had fields on both sides and an irrigation ditch running parallel to each side of the road. Just then, I looked out the window and I saw him, a melon head. He, or it, was running along next to the ditch. Since the ditch was too wide to jump over, it was coming close, like it was about to jump, and then pulling away. At the time, we were going about 45 to 50 miles per hour. The melon head was actually keeping up with us. It didn't look anything like I've heard in the stories. He looked about the same height as me, about 5'7", was wearing brown pants, which were very ripped up, and where the seams would be, it was held together by what looked like corn husk. It wore a white shirt with brown and red stains all over it, hoping that the red stains weren't blood. Its head was a very light brown tint. It had two holes in the sides of its head, which I think were ears. Its head was swelled up and its eyes were very big looking. Just as we turned the curve, it jumped into the woods. That is my story of the melon heads. So what do you make of this uh, Usain Bolt level speeding <laughs> melon head? Well, I, I mean, at this point, if he's just... He's describing it as a completely different thing. And why Why does he decide it's still a melon head? Like, well, I guess he says its head was swelled up. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, like the, it's just like the one I just talked about, the thing across the field. Like, it was just grunting. <laughs> yeah. Attributed to melon head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think this is one of those situations where uh, people will start attributing anything to the melon head. Yeah, some preconceived notions or like self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm looking for a melon head. I see a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Ergo melon head. <laughs> like that weird laughing thing. That mm-hmm. people were <laughs> telling me telling about. you about. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a melon head. So this next one is a little bit longer, but it is I think the pinnacle of melon head stories. And this comes from Weird New England. And it's titled, A Case of Survival. Megan O'Connell recalls a terrifying incident from the early 1980s when she was a student at Notre Dame High School in Fairfield, Connecticut. After a Friday night football game, Melon and some other girls piled into her friend Debbie's baby blue Granada. Deciding that a few thrills would only enhance the evening, they headed over to Trumbull's creepy Velvet Street, known locally as Dracula Drive. This is the area where the Melonheads were known to lurk. With music blaring, the girls turned onto a narrow dirt path. When they could drive no farther, they parked and switched off the engine, music, and lights. Then in the quiet darkness, Megan led Sue, Kim, Deb, Jen, and Karen into the woods looking for melonheads. Somewhere around here, they knew, was a house in which a group of melonheads was thought to live. A full moon lit their way as they giggled, whispered, and jumped at the occasional snapping branch or hooting owl. Stikini. They, they, then they heard another sound, a loud mechanical roar behind them. Deb's car was starting up. The horn blared, headlights flashed from the high to low and back as the engine growled. The vehicle leaped to life and bore down upon them like an avenging monster. It swerved from side to side, spitting dirt as the girls scrambled out of its way, safely cowering behind rocks and trees. The six watched in horror as the car rumbled past. 
Inside, they could plainly see a cluster of the big-headed beings they heretofore had truly believed to be legendary, but it was no legend that howled and screamed from the car's interior as it sped by. Abandoned in the shadow-crowded woodland, the girls ran breathlessly along the deserted road until they reached a highway. From there, they commenced the long walk home. To this day, on the back roads and quiet streets of rural Connecticut, a group of melonheads is occasionally spotted driving in the night. Their vehicle is much the worse for wear, but anyone with an eye for classic cars can recognize it as a bumped and battered baby blue Granada. It's the Peacock's Angel. They have yep. a old car. <laughs> yep. I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm pretty sure the peacocks were definitely based off melon heads now. <laughs> so, so they stole a car. The melon heads stole a car. Yep. What do you make of that? At first, I didn't know they could drive. <laughs> I don't think they knew. <laughs> they just stole it. I think they're uh they're they're a force to be reckoned with. That that's that's for sure. It's like in the moment of Jurassic Park when they realize that the velociraptors can open doors this was the moment where they realized melon heads can drive cars <laughs> i thought you were gonna say when the moment the raptors would drive a car <laughs> oh i wish <laughs> that was in the scrapped before jurassic world uh series of movies where they were gonna mix dinosaur dna with human dna and they were gonna be dinosaur people pretty sure they're doing that already oh shit <laughs> yeah no man i was really hoping that thing just that script just died but <laughs> anything to add before we jump into the rubric of power yeah these melon heads i'm gonna rewrite my 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 peacock tv show now <laughs> you got some inspiration yeah <laughs> they're gonna be melon heads now Due to the inbreeding, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so how about the powers of the Melonheads? All right, let's get into the the powers. With all that was being said and all that's done, as far as I can tell, the Melonheads just kill and, <laughs> and can, cannibalize people. Yep. They don't have any other supernatural power that I know of other than i guess running fast for that one story <laughs> that one that one <laughs> that one story that that didn't have ears he just had holes in his head yeah it's like i don't even know if that was a melon head so let's say i said it's adequate a two a two yeah not too bad disclaimer here i i really enjoy the melon head story it's it's fun it's uh mm -hmm. it's crazy but the powers my boys, the melon heads, they got done dirty, Angel. They were just some kids living their lives with a medical condition and were failed by the institutions put in place to help them. They get tested and experimented on and don't even have paranormal abilities. They are just <laughs> thrusted out into the forest and they have to survive like it's some sort of Lord of the Flies hell. And there's just, there is, like you said, the one that runs as fast as a car that's only attributed to one single oddity melon head. So I give the powers a one. Needs work. Yep. How about then detectability? It might be controversial here. <laughs> but I gave him a 3.5. Dang. Yeah. I based that off a line I read where it said that any, all the, all the melon heads will kill, hunt down and kill anyone who sees them. So in my head, that's saying anybody that's seen them is either dead or lying. Oh, yeah. So nobody's seen them. Nobody alive has seen them. Is my and that didn't get a four? <laughs> no. <laughs> or I guess because we know about the melon head. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> well, then how do we know about them if no one's seen them? <laughs> Because I'm sure that I'm sure they slipped. Somebody has slipped and passed them. You know, maybe somebody's uh -huh. you know cunning enough. What? So I guess in order for that to work, the melon heads have to realize that they're being seen. Yeah. So like if 
if you have like a high powered camera that can shoot out like 200 yards and the melon heads can't see you then you saw them you 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 snuck your peak and they didn't see you yeah you got you got scot-free that could be a a, mm-hmm. a way to do it and then distribute the the blurry images to everyone that's the way it has to be the way i looked at it there are a good amount of stories saying people have encountered them but i have never read one where they were like we got proof of one yeah and while hydrosphalus is real this does not mean that people who have that affliction are melon heads it's a very specialized grouping of peoples who are said to be in very specific areas but proof of them yet is still very elusive besides stories of like, oh, back in high school, we went looking for one and then we saw a dude in the woods. Yeah. So whatever they are doing to stay hidden, I think, is working in my book. So even more controversial than you, Angel, <laughs> 3.75. Whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about the lore and mystique? So as far as the lore and the mystique goes, I just can't get over the fact that they only mentioned in Ohio, Michigan, (laughs) and Connecticut, and nowhere in between. And the stories are similar. It's, I'm battling between, I was battling with this, giving this score, because even though the lore are pretty much similar and doesn't really uh, have that much other than their, you know, big-headed feral cannibals it's just the fact that it's only localized in these three states you know that we have we've had cryptids in the past where they're only like in a specific state and then there are other cryptids that are so popular that they're pretty much everywhere but these Mm -hmm. are only like three states like such a specific thing yeah and they're not like bordering states they're like (laughs) you have to jump states to get (laughs) yeah to them (laughs) In the end, I said it was adequate until I can come up with a better idea as to why it's just those three. So that's mm-hmm. a, a two. Maybe I'm a sucker for this super villain like origins for the melon heads, Angel. <laughs> they all seem to have been failed by some entity in power and then had to fend for themselves. I'm also a sucker for inbred villains because for me, it's just so funny. These things were rampant in 1980s horror movies. They're, they were always have superhuman abilities due to in, inbreeding for whatever reason, except for the melon heads. But like, <laughs> I just find that the whole trope is outlandishly funny. I also enjoy the aspect that this has been localized in, in various places in the U.S. So, for instance, Connecticut has one tied more closely to witchcraft which was very much a part of the New England colonial history. So I thought that was a neat sort of variant uh, compared to the other two. I ended up landing on a three above average for lore. How about I'm extremely interested always, every single time, especially I think now even more so with the melon heads, cunning and intelligence. These were a tough one. I don't think I consider them human. No! (laughs) But... Because of that, I also think they're extremely smart. They can drive cars, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they can they can they hunt. They can hunt in groups t- to get their what they need to survive. They <laughs> they 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 clearly have human like cognitive abilities. So then have they e- e- evolved so much from the inbreeding they're no longer considered humans? I was gonna say they've They've inbred so long that they've evolved that they're not even inbred anymore. Like, (laughs) they're just their own species now. Yeah. (laughs) Shit. And so with that, um, I gave them a three. They're humans. They're humans, damn it. (laughs) That's the one stole a car that knows how to operate it. And if it didn't know, it was intelligent enough to figure out how to do it. I gave them a four. Four, 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 four. <laughs> Impact on pop culture. This is one of those. It's not as bad as the squonk, where <laughs> yeah. nobody's heard of this thing and yet there's music on it. But this, it's, I forgot about the music. <laughs> <laughs> but this one is 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 up there. I I don't think I've ever heard of Melonheads, but I I do find it surprising considering there's three different states 
that have their own mm-hmm. things on them, origins. But there are there's at least two films mm-hmm. on the Melonheads, and each film is based on the their respective origin. Um, I think one of them's the Michigan uh, version of Melonheads. The other one's the Ohio. I think. Yeah. Um, I found a few. I don't know if they're novels, but they're definitely books that uh, have like a Melonhead tale in it. Novellas, I guess you can find mm-hmm. them on on Amazon. I mean, the fact that there's move two movies and, mm-hmm. and some books on it, I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, I give it a two. Yeah, and supposedly the Pumpkinhead movies are based on the Melonhead lore. Oh yeah. I don't. I don't specifically remember when I saw those. Like, holy shit! It's the Melonheads. Like, it, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it was like so apparent, but yeah. I don't remember. I do remember uh, Lance Hendrickson was in it of <laughs> Millennium <laughs> fame, <laughs> and I think he was talked about last season. I don't remember in what context though. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it can be attributed to that. As far as what everyone is always looking for, at least what I'm looking for, there is a Melonheads beer, or at least there was, Watermark Brewing Company out of Michigan. It is a sour, so screw that. I don't want it. <laughs> but on the Untapped app, it has a 3.8 out of 5, so some people like it. It wasn't listed. I went on Watermark Brewing Company's website. It wasn't listed as one of their current beers, so maybe it'll come back one day, but... Ran off into the forest. Oh, shit. It did. (laughs) (laughs) They started mixing it with other beers, and then it became (laughs) its own thing. Got bigger. (laughs) So, impact on pop culture, I gave it a two. Adequate. So, what does your score add up to? 12.5. And mine totaled to a 13.75. Putting it into the rubric of power, letting it calculate, it turns out to be a... 13 point rounded up 1-3. A good score for the Melonheads coming out of the block on season 3. Wow, wow, wow. So I have a, a new thought form, I think, to present to you, Angel. This idea that, um, so we know, looking back at the rubric of power, the Melonhead, he was lacking in some aspects. So his score could have been just a little bit higher. What do you think so here's a, a question for you. What would you combine out of everything from either season one, season two, one entity that you, or creature or anything you combine with the melon heads to make it better, what would you do? So I would call this our amalgamation corner. <laughs> what would you combine with the melon head to make it better? So many options to choose from. But I think with the way the melon head looks and and works and i think the fact that there's more than just one would make this even more menacing i would combine it with from season one the goat man specifically the oh, no. the axe carrying goat man <laughs> oh, no. they're just executing people out in the woods <laughs> yep just chopping oh, away whole whole clans of like <laughs> roving stocky melon-headed creatures with executioner's axes holy shit and and i think that would also make them even more feared than they already are so remember your remember your choice here because as we go along the seasons you can't you can't cross pollinate you can't choose goat men again that's your one chance at using goat man i think (laughs) uh i'm gonna change mine as i just thought of something as you were talking about that from the rougarou episode we talked about peter stump and the werewolf the werewolf belt that he was given by Satan when he was like a young child. I think if you gave the werewolf belt, Satan's werewolf belt, to the melon heads, and they transformed because in the lore, for some of the states, they get even stronger when it's a full moon. So that compounds with Peter Stump's werewolf belt to become the ultimate werewolf melon head and they could just they're already cannibals they like eating everything just goes up to like the nth degree and they just <laughs> and they can drive cars so you got werewolves driving cars <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, per- it's perfect 
It's so over the top. <laughs> I mean, you have these ugly, lumpy-headed things saying, hey, guys, it's a full moon out today. And they just turn into ugly, lumpy-headed wolves. <laughs> and they drive their old car, their baby blue car around and wreck shit. Like, if that entity existed, uh, fours all the way. They can't beat that, I don't think. <laughs> Only Santa could take care of him. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I mean, yeah, you got to save Santa for a good amalgamation. You can't just throw in Santa first round. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Throughout the season, I'll try to uh, combine some creatures, see what's fun. Uh, we got Goatman, Melonheads, mm-hmm. uh, which, oh my God, screw that. That's even <laughs> scary. And we got Werewolf, Melonheads. Yikes. I think both terribly frightening things to encounter. What if they were all combined? Werewolf, Goatman Axe, Melonhead. <laughs> so the werewolf. <laughs> Melonhead gets an executioner's axe. <laughs> oh my god. And I mean, at that point, he's strong enough. He can dual wield those executioner axes. So he's just like, <laughs> my god. Just spins in a circle, just <laughs> lops through entire suburban communities. <laughs> Oh, and there's like clans of them, so there's like 30 melon heads just running, <laughs> running through the su- suburbs. Yep, that's <laughs> a movie that needs to happen. I think. I mean, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> come on, guys, we're giving you great movie ideas. Just make sure to give us credit. Follow us on Twitter at Cracking Curios for uh, various tweets that we put out for when uh, new episodes are coming out, and in this case, when a new season's getting ready to be released. We're also on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. Um, send us an email, crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. Make sure if you're not listening to us on any podcast platform, know that you can. You can get us on Amazon, Spotify, Google, Apple iTunes, um, Podbean. Well, that's our main site. And, uh, that's our daddy. You- yeah. And let uh, let your friends know about us. You know, we 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 come uh, we come in peace. Toodles. <laughs>